Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome each and every one of you to the Rescue Church. My name is Pastor John, and I just want to say whatever campus you're joining us in this weekend, it is my honor to have you with us. Thank you for being here today. I also want to say welcome to each and every one of you that are online watching either on Facebook Live or on our iCampus right now. Uh, Thanks for joining us for church today. Uh, I am sore this morning. I got to tell you a little story about something crazy I did this past week. If you're friends with me on Facebook, maybe you saw the little video that I put out uh, this past Tuesday. But first, I want to start with this question for those of you that didn't see the video. uh, I want to ask the question, what would you be willing to walk 20 miles for? Let, let, me, let me ask it in a different way. If, if I were going to invite you to walk 20 miles, how much would I have to pay you uh, to be willing to do that? Because most of us don't walk 20 miles in a day just because, right? Um, so I just was thinking, like, if I offered you something small, like I've got a dollar in my back pocket, I'll give you a dollar to walk 20 miles. Uh, most likely, any smart person would say, no, thank you. It doesn't even come close to being worth it. Um, I'm guessing if I offered to buy you lunch, you'd probably say, that's a lot of work for a free lunch. I'm out on that. No, thank you. Um, I think even if I offered $100, some of you might take it. But again, most of us would look at that and look at the amount of time it's going to take us to walk 20 miles. And we would probably say, it's really not worth my time. I don't think I'm doing it for $100, John. All right, but what if you had a family member, let's just say one of your kids, that was sick, and about 20 miles away, there was some medicine that could fix your child, and it was really their only hope to get better. Would you walk 20 miles to get your kid that medicine so that your loved one would feel better and be healed? I don't know too many people that would say, I don't think I would do that. The truth is, almost any parent would say, yes, I'll walk 20 miles, especially if it means seeing my son or daughter healed. And so uh, in our time together this morning, as we continue through the book of John, we're going to see a story of a man who walked 20 miles uh, in order to have an audience with Jesus just to be able to ask him Can you please help my son, who's more than just sick? He's like about to die. Okay, so as I was preparing the message this past Tuesday, uh, this crazy thought popped into my head. It was almost an inspired moment, I hope, because if it wasn't from the Lord, then I feel really stupid for doing what I did. But I I was thinking as I was preparing my message, I'm going to start by asking that question. What would you be willing to walk 20 miles for? And I thought, I would absolutely walk 20 miles if I knew that my son or daughter would be healed. And then I started thinking about some needs in my own life, some things I've been praying for. I've got loved ones that I've been praying for healing, for some physical ailments in their life. 
in our church, we've got things I'm praying for. I'm praying that God would provide a piece of property and a building for our Flandreau campus. I'm praying about the launch of a Brookings campus. I'm praying about someday being able to put a facility in our D-side uh, location for our care house. And, you know, there's a lot of big things I'm asking the Lord for. And, and I just kind of thought I would walk 20 miles for any of those things. And then I just kind of heard this gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, well, then why don't you? Why don't you walk 20 miles? And and so I had this crazy thought. What if I just uh, wipe out my calendar today? I had to uh, rearrange some of my appointments and and clear my calendar. And I said, you know what I'm going to do today? From about 9 o'clock till about probably 3 o'clock, I'm going to spend that time walking 20 miles. There's a little five-mile loop that I like to walk from my house in Flandreau out to the city park. If you go into the park and all the way around the loop and back home, it's five miles. And I thought, I'll just do that four times. No problem. And as I walk, I'll pray and prepare this message. Sounded like a really good idea at the time. And and I'm telling you, the first five miles went really well, um, like they always do, no problem. I came back home, took a little break, and set out on the second five-mile journey. And it wasn't very long into that where I started to think, oh boy, this sounded like a good idea earlier this morning. I've got three more of these trips to make. And I had already made the mistake of going on Facebook Live and telling everybody I was walking 20 miles and that I'd pray for you if you needed prayer for something. So I really didn't feel like I could back out. And so I walked 20 miles on Tuesday, and it almost killed me. Maybe that just says I'm that much out of shape. I don't know. But, but man, by the last trip, I'm telling you, each step was just a matter of the willpower to take another step and keep moving. But here's the cool thing it did for me anyway, is it really helped me kind of put myself, if you will, in the sandals of this man we're going to hear about today, who was willing to walk 20 miles just to ask Jesus for help. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at this story from John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. John writes this, he says, once more he, Jesus, He visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. This happened back in John chapter 2. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him, maybe you should underline that word, begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. He wasn't just sick, he was about to die. Now, here's a couple things I want you to notice about this man, this royal official, is what we know is that he would have been someone of high standing in the court of King Herod. Like, this would be a high-ranking official. This is someone who's got power. I mean, he's got influence and power. He's probably pretty wealthy because of his position uh, that, that he holds. And he serves the king. He's in the the high-ranking court of King Herod. But here's what I want you to know. We see in this picture a man who's desperate. You say, well, John, how do you know, how do you know he's desperate? Well, I, I would imagine a couple things, uh, and I'm, I'm just kind of filling in some blanks with my own thinking, but follow my thought process on this and see if this isn't 
kind of logical. I'm guessing parents back in this day weren't much different than they are today. So when your kid, mom and dad, just be honest, especially when it's not your first kid, uh, when your kid complains that they don't feel good, what do we normally do? We're like, ah, you'll be fine. Get a good night of sleep. You'll be better in the morning. And then the morning rolls around, and maybe his son is now developing a little bit of a cough. (laughs) And he's like, well, that's fine. We'll just swing by the Walgreens and pick up some cough drops. You'll be fine. We'll, we'll, We'll take care of it. Well, then that cough develops into more of a fever, and his son really is starting to, to seem sick. But it's okay. Like, we've got money. We've got options. We've got health care. Let's call the doctor in. I'm guessing, the, the text does not say this, but I'm guessing this high-ranking official had the means and the connections and the ability to do some stuff for his son. I'm guessing at the point that he was willing to walk 20 miles to Jesus, he had already exhausted everything that he knew to do. The doctors had come. They did what they, the best they could do with the money they had to, to do it with. And his son continues to get sicker and sicker and sicker to the point of he's, he's almost dead. And this is a father who's desperate. Why do I know he's desperate? Because he walked 20 miles to have a conversation with a carpenter. And by the way, he didn't just have a conversation with Jesus. The text says he begged Jesus. Desperate people beg Here's what I want you to recognize is that this man had to swallow some pride to come to this point of desperation to reach out to Jesus. Why do I say he probably had to swallow some pride? Well, check it out. Think about this. Here he is, this high-ranking official. He's done everything he knows how to do, but now he hears that there's this common carpenter by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, not not Jesus of Jerusalem or Jesus of Rome, some big city guy. It's that, remember John 1 when when we heard Nathaniel say, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's just this common, ordinary carpenter But there's some very extraordinary things about his life. And the word is starting to spread. And here this high-ranking government official says, I need to go talk to this common carpenter. And I'm willing to walk 20 miles in order to have an audience with him. And so he sets out on this journey, not even knowing if it's going to pay off. Not even knowing if he's going to get what he's hoping to get out of the deal. Here's the point. You said, great story, John. What does that have to do with my life? I want to ask the question. I wonder, am I speaking to someone here this morning that there's some level of pride in your life that you have not yet overcome in order to reach out to Jesus? I just believe with all my heart this morning, I'm speaking to people in Flandreau and Coleman and Deeside and Peoria and online. I believe I'm speaking to some people that you are so caught up in your pride, you have not yet surrendered to Christ. And what is it? What is the pride? What is the source of our pride these days? Well, I think it can look like a lot of things. I think it can look like wealth. I'm probably speaking to some people today that your wealth is a source of your pride. And it causes this level of self-sufficiency where you, you don't have real needs in your life because you have enough money, enough possessions, enough resources that you don't really recognize your need for Christ. 
And by the way, lest you think I'm talking to just 1% or 2% of our church, you know, the really wealthy. No, no, no. Remember a, a while back we did a series called How to Be Rich? And, and I made the point that I'm speaking probably to about 90% of our church audience today. You are wealthy. You live in the United States of America. You have not one, not two, probably three vehicles. You've got multiple incomes coming into your home. You've got, you know, give us this day our daily bread, Lord, we pray, when we've got enough food for a month in our freezer and in our cupboards. Sometimes the very fact that we have wealth and abundance and resources keeps us from humbling ourselves and turning to Christ in desperation. It's been a long time since we've been in a place of desperation to call on the name of Jesus. For others, a source of your pride might not be wealth, it might be your great intellect. Some of you are smart. And that's awesome, by the way. I'm not mad at people who are wealthy. Praise God for your wealth. That, this isn't an anti-wealth sermon. And I'm not mad that you're smart. Praise God for people who have big brains that can store a lot of knowledge. But sometimes scripture tells us those who claim to be wise are, are the biggest fools because in their great depth of intellectual prowess, they reject their need for a savior. They're almost too smart for their own good. And if they can't have all the answers to everything and see all the proof and all the evidence and have it all laid out, if there's any part of the Christian life that has to be taken on faith where they have to say, you know, there's just some things about God I don't know, they, they struggle with that. It's a source of pride. And I'm just here to tell you, I love you, but uh, God is not impressed with your master's degree. He's not wowed by your doctorate or the three doctorates that you hold. Like, he's not impressed with how smart you are. Your brain has not even begun to scratch the surface of the depth of his wisdom and his knowledge. You are not impressing him by your intellect. Sometimes it's our smartness that keeps us from coming to the Lord. For others, our source of pride is our own sense of self-righteousness. That we think, I'm doing a pretty good job of following the rules and living a moral life. I know I'm doing better than half the people in this town. I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't hang out with people that do, right? Like, I'm just a moral person. I keep all the rules, and God's pretty impressed with how moral and, and religious and self-righteous I am. And I think God would remind us all today that at the foot of the cross, there's not a single person in the sound of my voice this morning who is not in desperate need of a Savior. It does not matter how good and moral and upright you have lived your life. For some of us, our source of pride is our giftedness and our talents that we have. Do you just know anybody in your life that like anything they do, they, they're not just gifted in one or two areas. They're gifted in all kinds of areas. Like anything they do, they just do it really well, right? And, and sometimes that source of gifting, that, that talent that we have, those abilities can create in us this self-sufficiency where it's like, it's okay. I'm not desperate. I've, I've got the gifts and the talents to work myself out of about any tight spot I'm in. I just wonder if you've reached a point of desperation in your life where you realize I need to swallow my pride and turn to Jesus. My prayer for you would be that you don't have to get into one of those tight spots in life 
where you're absolutely desperate and there's no other way out but Christ. See, wisdom would cause us to kneel before Christ today, to humble ourselves before Christ right now, before we find ourselves in one of these situations. And hey, by the way, I should just say this too. I'm not implying that if you humble yourself and acknowledge your need for Christ and become a Christ follower, that you'll never find yourself in a situation like this man where you are pleading to God on behalf of the health of one of your children or a spouse. Because bad things still happen to good people who love God and follow God, and we live in a world where sin is a real thing. It's cursed all of creation. And there's sickness and illness and disease, and there's tragedy and sorrow. And we are not promised to be spared from all of that. I'm just saying, wisdom would have us submit ourselves and turn to the Lord before we find ourselves in one of those situations. But here's a man who's desperate. He walks 20 miles to have a word with Jesus and ask Jesus to heal his son. I want to show you the next verse. Verse 48, Jesus has a very peculiar response to this man. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. What does he mean by that? Can, can I just be honest and tell you, like, I don't really even know what that means. I think I know what it means, but I'm just telling you, this is my guess at what this text is saying. As I've, as I've done some studying, as I've read a couple commentaries on this, if, by the way, if you want to jot down the, the scripture reference, Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, um, there's another similar story where a woman comes to Jesus asking for uh, her daughter who was possessed by demons to be healed. And Jesus gives this answer that's almost rude. I mean, it kind of sounds like this slap in the face where he's basically like, I, I've only come for Israel. I haven't come for you Samaritans. And, and yet when she holds tight to Jesus, then he heals her daughter. And he's like, your faith. He celebrates the faith of this woman. I think this is kind of like that. Where Jesus is really what he's doing here. Is I think he's testing the faith of this man who came asking for healing for his son. So he says, like, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you won't believe. I don't know. Is he implying that because you didn't bring your son with you and you can't watch me heal him right in front of you and see the immediate results, you won't believe? I don't know why Jesus chose to say this. But I kind of feel like Jesus is, is testing this man's faith to see, is he going to hold fast and not let go, or is he going to get disappointed and irritated and turn and walk away? And go, see, I knew it wasn't going to work. I knew this was a waste of a trip. Look at this man's response. I think he passes the test. Because in verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. In other words, Jesus, you're my only hope for my son. And look what Jesus says. Go. Jesus replied, your son will live. And then look at this next line. It's probably the key line in this whole scripture. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He got to walk 20 more miles back home. Thankfully, I didn't have to walk 20 more miles back home. I set it up to where I just walked 20 miles and was done, right? This guy walked 20 miles one way and had to turn around and walk 20 miles home. But here's the thing. He showed not only that he believed in Jesus with words, 
He showed that he believed in Jesus with his obedience. Like he took action. Jesus said, your son will live. Go. And so he walked away. Now here's the question I want to ask you, church. In this story, up to this point, as far as this government official can see, question, what has changed in his circumstances? Nothing. All he knows is that he walked 20 miles to see Jesus. All he knows is he left a son at home who's almost dead. And now Jesus has said, go, your son will live. What has changed? Nothing except for the fact that he has been given a word from God. And he's holding on to that promise of Jesus that your son will live. And he's going to take action on that word from God. And he's going to go home in belief and in faith that what Jesus said will in fact happen in my life. You know, I, I just want to share this as, as I lead this church that, um, and, and as I'm studying this passage of scripture this week, I realize like in my own life, as I've been leading this church, I can kind of relate to this because for the last few years, really, and months for sure, I've, I feel like I, myself, this is just me. I'm not speaking about you. I feel like my wheels have just been spinning a little bit where I see some things that need to happen and I feel like we can't move until God comes through and he, he, he gets some things all lined up in order. And I feel like in recent weeks, I've just been sensing this word from the Lord that says, John, what are you waiting for? I've given you my promise. I will build my church. It doesn't necessarily have to happen exactly like you thought it would. So get moving. Take my promise and go. Do what I've put in your heart to do and let me come through for you. Don't sit and wait until you see the results first. I've kind of been learning this lesson fresh and new in my life again. That's not always faith if we just wait until we see it and have it. Sometimes we, we have to act on the promise that God has given us and we move forward. So like in the context of our church, like that looks like this piece of property we're pursuing. I'm done talking about it. It needs to happen. I'm done just sitting back waiting. We are going to move forward and believe that God will provide the land and the building for our Flandreau campus. I'm tired of talking about Brookings and waiting. We are moving Just this past week, we went to Brookings and we toured a couple different schools where we, Lord willing, in the new year, early in the new year, are going to be launching another service up in Brookings and see God build his church in that community as well. I'm tired of sitting around waiting and I feel like God is even more tired of seeing me sit around waiting. It's time to act on the promise you've been given. And he gives this man this promise, your son will live and the man turns and he walks home. And nothing's changed, except that he's received this word from Christ. Well, check this out. Here's how the story ends. Verse 51, it says, while he was still on the way, I don't know how far he made it home, but his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. All right, so here's a couple things. This is really good. I want to point this out to you. Um, In this story, 
something very significant has happened. This is the first time in Scripture where we see Jesus demonstrate his power and his mastery over space and over distance. What I mean by that is here is the first time that in the New Testament where we see Jesus speak and he causes a miracle to take place 20 miles away. At the very moment, he speaks it. Well, so what? What is the implication of that? Well, for one, it, that again points to the deity of Jesus Christ. And remember, the book of John is all about that. John wants us to understand Jesus is no ordinary person. He's not just some good teacher who taught some moral things. He is the son of the most high God. He is who he claims to be, and this is why this is one of the important signs that John points to. Jesus didn't just turn water into wine and demonstrate his power over physical nature. We looked at that story. Now Jesus is saying, your son will live, and 20 miles away, a miracle takes place. Jesus demonstrates his power over distance. And I just want to tell you that the implications of that for your life and for my life today are this. There is no amount of space or distance that you can put between yourself and God that takes you beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. I know I'm probably speaking to some people this morning that you're far from God. Maybe you feel farther from God than you really are. Or maybe you genuinely have drifted, maybe even have run in the opposite direction from the Lord, and you really are far from the Lord today. Here's what I want you to know. You're still not too far to where you're beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. Because his deity has mastery and power over distance, and he can close that gap right now with the power of his word. It's the same Jesus that was involved at the scene of creation when God said let there be light and through the power of his spoken word this entire universe and the galaxies come into existence that same God is able to span that distance that you think is so far he is telling you today it's not nearly as far as you think it is you're not beyond my reach you're not beyond my grasp and I love you and I care for you if he can cause a miracle to happen 20 miles away, he can change your heart at the distance you are right now, and he can draw you closer and closer to himself. Something else I want you to see in this story as well that I think is really powerful is I kind of want you to notice that the progression of faith that this man had. Okay, When we first see him approach Christ, I'm just guessing. Again, I'm reading into the story a little bit, but my guess is, is that He's not even fully convinced that this is going to work. All he knows is he's desperate and he's begging Jesus, can you please do something for my son? But there's faith in that. There's faith in the fact that he walked 20 miles just to ask the question. But then I think there's even more faith that he demonstrates when he turns away from Jesus, having no real guarantee that his son will live, but he acts upon the promise of Jesus and he walks back home. I think we see even more faith. And then, I don't know if you caught it or not, but in that verse, uh, toward the end of that last passage of Scripture where it says, So he and his whole household believed. 
So by the time he gets back home and he realizes that Jesus actually kept his promise and that his son was actually healed at the exact moment that Christ had said the day before, your son will live, it says he and his whole household believed. And now my guess is, is that this faith that they now have is an even stronger faith than the faith that he started out on his journey with. Here's the point that I want you to see from that is this, is that faith is a gift that grows as we use it. Faith is something that the more we use it, the stronger it gets. And I can just tell you this, in our church, um, we have seasoned veterans of the faith, men and women that have followed Jesus for decades And they've used their faith again and again and again. And they have walked with Jesus through some very high highs and had some mountaintop experiences with Christ. And they have followed Jesus. And more likely, Jesus has walked beside them through some very low lows and the valleys and the depths of darkness in their life. And what they can tell you as they look back over decades of being a Christ follower is this. Christ has been nothing but faithful in their life. They've experienced some hardships, but they have found Christ to be so faithful and his promises to be true. But see, what I want you to know is they didn't get there overnight. It came from a lifetime of taking one step of faith after another because the more we use faith, the stronger it gets and the more it grows. I might be speaking to someone here today that You're not a seasoned veteran of being a Christ follower. You haven't been doing this for decades. Maybe you've only been doing it for a couple of months. Maybe just a few short years since you've really come to Christ. Can I just tell you something? I'm going to let you in on something. This isn't going to sound like good news, but you need to know it because it's true. When the enemy that Scripture says we have an enemy referring to the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, can I just tell you the bad news is you want to know who he often targets? The babies. The, the young ones in the flock, right? They're, they're easier targets. He's not always going to come after that person that's been following Christ for decades and decades. Believe me, he's got his schemes for for those of us that have been Christ followers for a while as well. But, But he comes along after the new Christians. And he will bring both barrels blazing against your life at times. Because he's trying to do everything in his power to whisper in your ear. You really believe this stuff about God? You believe there's a God in heaven who loves you? Why would he let this happen in your life? Why would he let you go through this thing? And see, my challenge to you is that you keep taking steps of faith and build on the faith that you've already demonstrated in your life. And trust the promises of God that he will never leave you and never forsake you. He knows about the trial you're going through. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. I'm not saying that he caused what you're going through. I'm not saying he's happy about what you're going through. But I'm guaranteeing that he loves you. He knows every detail of your life. And he's inviting you, keep following me in faith. And see, faith is we keep taking steps when we don't see the circumstances around us changing. We believe him and take him at his word and we keep following, we keep trusting. Maybe I'm talking to someone here today that you would say, John, I'm not even a Christian yet. Not even sure I even want to be one. 
what kind of faith can I have? Can I just tell you for you, your small step of faith could be as simple as this. It could be as simple as you making a prayer to a God that you claim you don't even know exists yet. And you say, Lord, if you're really there, and if you really love me, will you please show yourself to me in a very real way? See, to me, that's a step of faith. It's reaching out. Now, I got to tell you, though, that if we reach out to the Lord and ask for something, and then he speaks and he responds, then we need to do what he says. So I would just want to point out the fact that you may be praying that kind of prayer in your life right now, Lord, if you're really there and if you really love me, I would just point out you're sitting in a church right now where the gospel of Jesus Christ is being presented to you, where a relationship with Jesus Christ is being offered to you. I just want to help you see that God very well is answering that that prayer in your life today because he's saying, I brought you here, didn't I? You're getting ready to hear how you can have a relationship with me and invite me to be the Lord of your life. And so when you hear that, don't don't resist that. You need to act upon the, the word that God gives you. But faith is something that grows over time as we use it. And in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to close in prayer and give you an opportunity from wherever you're sitting, whatever location you're in, that you can call on the name of Jesus and invite him to be your Lord and Savior. One other thing I want to point out, just another thought that hit me as I was preparing this this week, and then, then I'll close in prayer, and that's simply this, that um, this miracle that we're reading about today was not just for that government official and his son. I mean, they were the immediate, direct beneficiaries of that miracle, right? I mean, he walked 20 miles. Will you please heal my son? Jesus heals his son. The son gets to live. But, but check it out. The reason that this is in the Word of God is not just because it was for them and them alone. This miracle is there for you and me as well. And I guess I just want to ask the question today, am I speaking to someone in the rescue church this morning that you would say, John, I am in need of a miracle in my life. I'm praying for healing for someone in my life. I'm praying about this need. I'm praying about this obstacle that's in front of me that I cannot overcome in and of my own strength. I've tried. I've tried everything I know to go around, over, through. I I cannot do it. I need something to shatter this obstacle that stands in front of me, and it's not me. I can't do it. Are you in need of a miracle? See, here's why I believe that a story like this is so powerful. I think that God puts this in Scripture so that we can borrow the faith from this miracle as we continue to wait on God for our own miracle. And I would just challenge you to look at this story of a desperate father who walked 20 miles to beg Jesus to heal his son. And when Jesus gave him the promise, when he gave him the word, he acted upon that word. He demonstrated belief by putting action to his faith and taking steps forward and we can hold on to the promise of this miracle and countless others in scripture as we wait on god for our own miracle here's what i know is i can't promise god's going to answer your prayer in exactly the way you're asking in exactly the time frame that you're asking i can't promise that i won't promise that but i promise that this same jesus who did not turn away this desperate father 
is the same Jesus whom we call upon today, and he will not turn you away either. He will hear, and he will answer your prayer, and he will invite you to take steps of obedience and faith as you continue to follow him in your journey and in your relationship with him. I wonder, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Would you be willing to reach out in faith and invite him to be the Lord and the leader and the Savior of your life this morning? Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this powerful testimony that we see in Scripture of the desperation of a man who's willing to swallow his pride and reach out in faith to you. Thank you for his obedience that we see him demonstrating where he took you at your word and he departed. He went home to find that you are a God who keeps your promises. And you are a God who's powerful enough to heal and restore. And that you are a God who can heal even over a great distance. Lord, I believe this morning I'm speaking with people that maybe some of us are far from you. And we feel like there's this great distance. I pray that you would close the gap of that distance in a way that only you can today, Lord. I pray that we would reach out in faith and take tangible steps of obedience and faith-filled action. Lord, for some of us, that, that may be as simple as us reaching out to you and accepting Christ into our life as our Lord and Savior. I pray right now, if there's someone in the sound of my voice who has never accepted you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sin... For the healing of their soul, I pray that today they would call upon your name for salvation. Right now, saying, dear Jesus, I need you in my life as my Lord and Savior. I humble myself. I submit my pride and my arrogance and my self-righteousness and my ego. I submit all of that to you. And Jesus, I declare that I need you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Lord, for some of us today, we've already dealt with that. We've already accepted Jesus, but maybe there's some other area in our life that we need to take steps of obedience and demonstrate faith in you. I pray that you would just meet these people, Lord, wherever they're at, in their heart, in their life, in their circumstances, that they would see you above it all, that they would turn to you in faith and follow you today, Jesus. You get all the praise and the honor and the glory for how you choose to use this message in the life of your people this week. Lord, we love you. I pray for a great week as we go from here and follow you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.